0: 1 John 5 14, there's a promise. And it's one of those really big promises in the Bible that, that you read it and you almost want to do a double take. It says this It says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, We know that we have what we asked of him. There's a couple words in there that make our ears perk up, right? That that word confidence. How many of us would love to pray with confidence? That phrase, he hears us. And maybe the one that jumps out the most is that phrase, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. How many of us would love that? But I wonder how many of us caught the condition for all that to be the case. His will. His will, that's right. If we ask anything according to His will. When you think about His will, I think about what's close to His heart. I think about His ways. I think about His priorities. And I think some of us hear that and we say, oh, Great. How in the world am I supposed to know what God's will is? Because that's a very mysterious subject for a lot of us, right? How How do I know what God's will is? You know, isn't this the God that said in Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways? As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts? So, if that's true, you know, if his will is so much higher than ours, you know, is this promise kind of like out of reach? Kind of like if I was to say to you, hey, I'll give you a million dollars, but to get it, you've got to jump across the Grand Canyon. Is that what this promise is like? I think some of us might feel that way if we're honest. How do I know what God's will is? But I want to tell you tonight that God's not in the business of of putting carrots out in front of us that he won't let us reach. That's not the God that we serve. So I want to talk about three questions tonight that will help us wrestle with this idea of the will of God. And the first question that you have to wrestle with if you're going to get to the heart of the will of God is do I have a relationship with God? That's ground zero when it comes to knowing his will. Because, wouldn't you agree with me, to know what somebody wants, you've got to be able to talk to them. Uh, You've got to be able to hear their heart. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 16. Upper room, he's just about to be crucified. He's just about to say goodbye for a time to the ones that he loves so dearly, his, his disciples. And he talked about this relationship with God. He said to them, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He'll bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Well, I wanna see if you caught what Jesus was saying there. He's saying that all truth belongs to the Father. But the Father gave all truth to Jesus. And then Jesus said the Spirit that every believer has in them would take from the truth of Jesus and give it to that believer. But what's important for us to realize is that not everyone in this world enjoys that privilege. Not everyone knows what that's like. Because earlier in the same upper room, you know what Jesus said? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not until we call out to Jesus to be our Savior that we have that access to the Father and His will. And I thought about it kind of like this. Uh, about six months ago, Wells Fargo started calling our house. We've had our mortgage for about nine years, and they called and left three or four messages that said, if you call us back because you've been a faithful customer and making your payments, we could make your interest rate significantly lower to the tune of saving $13,000 over the rest of the, the course of the mortgage. They called once, they called once about a month later, they called once again about two months later, and I thought about that. That offer to save $13,000 was just sitting there, but you know what? It wasn't until I finally picked up the phone and called Cindy. I had to call Cindy. She said, you call Cindy, and then you can get access to this lower interest rate. So I called Cindy, and we did. We got access to that lower interest rate. I thought, that's just how it is with this connection to the Father and His will. The offer is there. The question is will you call out to Jesus? Because He's the connection you need. It's your trust in what He did on that cross when He died for your sins and rose again that's going to give you that connection. So that's the first question. Do I have a relationship with God? Here's the second one, and this is where it gets a little uncomfortable, especially for those of us who know God as our Father. The question is, do I really want His will? Now, I know most of us have heard the verse in Romans 12, 1 that says His will is good and pleasing and perfect. And I'm sure if I were to ask, how many of you want God's will in your life? All these hands would go up because you don't want to be left out, right? But I wonder, here's the question, how many of us want to hear His will Just so we can compare it to what we want to (laughs) do and see if it lines up or not. And if it doesn't line up, we know darn well we're going to take our way. This happened in the book of Jeremiah. I I just read this in my quiet time last week. I'm going to summarize because it covered about three chapters. I'm just going to give you the nutshell version. There's a group of men in Jerusalem. Right after Jerusalem had been ransacked by the king of Babylon because of their disobedience, God allowed Babylon to come in and take most of the people away, destroy the city. And this group of men is there, and they're scared, understandably. They don't know where to go or what to do, and that's how we feel often when we're searching for God's will, right? We'll relate to their question. They they go to Jeremiah, God's prophet, and they say, In chapter 42, verse 3, pray that the Lord your God will tell us where we should go and what we should do. And you know what Jeremiah said? He said, I will. I'll pray to the Lord. I'll tell you everything the Lord says and we'll keep nothing back from you. Their response, listen to this. This is a sweeping response. They say, hey, whether it's favorable or unfavorable, we will obey the Lord our God. It says in verse 7, 10 days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So he rounds up all those people that wanted the answer. And here's what he told them in verse 9. This is what the Lord God says. If you stay in Jerusalem, I will build you up. I will have compassion on you. Here's the flip side. If you say we will not stay, we will go and live in Egypt. The sword that you fear will overtake you there was pretty clear cut, right? He says, hey, you stay in Jerusalem and trust me, and I'll have compassion on you and take care of you. But if you go to Egypt and trust in Pharaoh and his power, you will die. Now, this is interesting. Jeremiah, being a prophet of God, knew the hearts of these people. And in verse 20, he said to them, you people made a fatal mistake when you said, pray to the Lord our God for us. Tell us everything he says, and he will do it. I've told you today, but you still have not obeyed the Lord. You will die in the place you want to settle. And you know what the people said to him about what he had heard from God about staying in Jerusalem? Chapter 43, it says they said to him, you're lying. The Lord didn't tell you that. <laughs> what What was their problem? That's not the answer they wanted from God. Don't we get there sometimes? That, no, I, no, God, that can't be right. That That's too crazy. That's too radical. I, no. So 43, verse 4, they disobeyed the Lord's command. Verse 7 says, they entered Egypt in disobedience to the Lord. And if you want to read the whole story in Jeremiah 42 through 44, I'd encourage you to do so. I can wrap it up here by telling you what God said would happen, happened. The very king they were afraid of that had sacked Jerusalem once came and sacked Egypt after they had gone there. And every one of those men died. So what's the moral of the story when it comes to asking God for his will? <laughs> Unless you really want it, don't, don't waste your time asking him for it, okay? Just go ahead and do whatever you're going to do. You'll probably be better off than pretending with him like you really want what he wants. But here's the flip side. Some of you in here really do want God's will. You're at that place where you've been trying your way, and you're saying, all right, God, I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to do what you want. And I want to tell you something that helped helped me with that because it's an ongoing journey for all of us. It's a daily journey for me. But when I was 17, I went to a conference in Toronto, Canada, Lee Wiggins was my youth pastor at the time, and he took us up there, and it was a Sun Life Evangelism Missions Project Conference, and I'll never forget, there was a man there with long blonde hair, jean shorts, and he didn't have any shoes on, so I always feel like I'm dressed up fancy, because I wear sandals, compared to him, but, and I don't know the guy's name to this day, but he said something at the end of his message, he said, you know what? Your life is not ultimately for you. Your life is for God's glory. And if you want God's will in your life, here's what you need to do. You need to take a blank sheet of paper and sign your name at the bottom and hand it to God and say, God, you fill in the details. You have your way with me. What was he saying? He was saying to us that the biggest issue in God's will in our lives is, do I really want it? you want to do that this week I'd encourage you to it help me but I'd be cautious because when I did that that night that changed the whole course of my life I'd probably be a journalist today if I hadn't been at that conference and I hadn't said God have your way with me so those are the first two questions do I have a relationship with God the second question do I really want God's will and the third one this is another big one for us. Am I missing the forest for the trees? Am I missing the forest for the trees? And what I mean by that is, am I so focused on the unknowns of God's will, like the wares and the winds that we often spend so much time thinking about? Am I so focused on the unknowns that I forget and neglect the thousands of things that He's made clear in His will, in His Word? And what I want to say here is, it doesn't make sense to ask God for His will if we ignore or just lay aside everything we know clearly is His will and His Word. So much of His will is right here. So much of it's not a mystery. And I thought thought about, like, if you've ever been in a college class or even high school, that first day of class, your teacher hands you a syllabus, right, that has a whole semester laid out. This is due such and such a time. This is due such and such a time. This is due in three weeks. I want you to imagine that teacher, if the second day of class, you walked up to her and said, okay, what's due tomorrow? And then you walk up the next day and say, what's due next week? And then you walk up to her the next week and say, what's due two months from now? And you keep doing that day after day after day. What's the teacher finally going to say Read the syllabus. <laughs> read the syllabus. And I, I just can't help but wonder if God's wanting that from some of us. It's not wrong to ask. He loves to talk to us. He loves his children. But sometimes I believe he's saying, read the syllabus. I gave you. And I was trying to think through, what's this look like when we focus on the unknown and totally ignore the things that we do know? And I thought of a couple examples of what this would be like. Maybe we can relate to these. Uh, The first one would be like, what what if there's a guy who's looking at an upcoming missions trip to a foreign country, and it's going to be to help widows in that country, to minister uh, help and healing to them and to speak the gospel to them. And he's praying, God, is it your will for me to go and help these women? While the whole time he's praying, he's being unfaithful to his wife by looking at pornography on his computer. Do you see the irony of what I'm talking about? First Thessalonians 4.3 leaves no doubt about that. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. He's ignoring the part that's clear to pray about something that's not so clear. Or what about a woman who's totally fed up with her job? And she's asking, God, is it your will that I seek employment in another place? Legitimate question. But imagine the whole time she's doing that, she spends every hour at her workday complaining to other employees and arguing with her boss. Philippians 2.14 makes it clear, God's will is for us to do, quote, everything without complaining or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. 1 Thessalonians 5 is even clearer. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, it's easy to look at those two hypothetical people and say, man, what were they thinking? But if we're honest, how many times do we do that in our own way? We seek God's will for the unknowns and we totally ignore the parts that are, that are crystal clear. Here's the thing. I believe as we read his book, as we open the syllabus, we're going to start to see that God cares about the wares and the winds. Sometimes he makes them crystal clear in our lives. So, you can't miss him. Other times, he allows us to use the wisdom that he's given us and his word to make the decision. But I think he cares even more about the whos than he cares about the wheres and the whens. He cares more about us, he cares more about our character than some of those other details. You know how I know that? Listen to Romans 8 29. Those God foreknew, he also predestined, that's a will word, that's a God's will word, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. One thing we can know beyond the shadow of a doubt as a believer is that Jesus wants us every day to look, think, and act more like his son Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, if that's not happening, it doesn't matter where you go. doesn't matter when you go. You're going to be outside of His will. But if that is happening, here's the flip side that ought to encourage us. If that is happening, you can know what it is to live at the heart of God's will wherever and whenever you find yourself. Whether you're mopping a floor or climbing a mountain, That's whether you're preaching a sermon or working on the assembly line. That's whether you're wiping a baby's butt or praying with a friend. If your heart's right with God and he's allowing you to be conformed to the image of his son, you're in his will. And as I close, I want to say that one part of being more like Jesus, one part of God's will for us that we know is Jesus' heart broke when he looked out at a world that needed him. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's a pretty clear mission statement for Jesus coming here. And before he left, he made it clear that it was his will for every one of his children to join him on that same mission. You remember Matthew 28, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. There are about 7 billion people in the world, and by some estimates, 4.5 billion do not claim to be Christian. 1.5 billion of that 7 billion have not even heard the name of Jesus. And I want to challenge us as a church tonight. Sometimes I think we've got an Americanized version of the gospel that goes something like this. Jesus died on the cross for me, period. And what I want to say is that is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus died on the cross for me that I might be a blessing to the world by sharing what he gave me with them and bringing glory to him. Because the gospel does not end with us. If it does, we miss the whole point of it. The gospel ends with God's glory and the way you and I bring him glory is by sharing what he's caused to overflow in our lives. So whatever else we do in our lives, we can be sure that if we're not following his call to go and make disciples, whether that's that neighbor next door or someone in Papua New Guinea, we can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are not in God's will. Because that's the heart of why we're here. And I really believe that the fuel for that movement, the fuel for God's great commission to be fulfilled on our planet is prayer.